to be back with you. As most of you know, by now a group of us, a group of us were away at a men's retreat uh, last weekend. And if it was a powerful time of refreshing and fellowship, God moved in the lives of the men. And in a not-so-surprising turn of events, and I know Pastor Jamie mentioned to this to you, but God seems to always confirm some things, and so of all the scriptures and of all the places in the Bible uh, that God could have brought us, uh, He had us uh, hearing a sermon based on Daniel 3 when we were away in Monadnock in New Hampshire, which is the same thing Pastor Jamie here was preaching on. And uh, we also had a Pastor Jamie there. He was sort of the bootleg version, I guess, right? It's not, uh, not the original, not the... But, uh, but anyway, I tease, whenever the Word of God's preached, it always it goes forward in power, amen? It always changes us. So we said last week, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that here at South Coast, God is moving. We know He's doing amazing things. I preached uh, on removing the mask, and then Jamie talked about following God no matter what, moving from a what-if to an even-if. Even if things don't look the way we think they should, who are we going to follow? Who are we going to live for? And there's going to be a lot of information. I'm not sure how many weeks we're going to talk about this, but I'd rather go slow and develop this idea and take our time than to move quickly. So I'm going to give you my main point, and then this morning and and in the weeks to come, we'll we'll, uh, develop it more. So here's my main point. Everything we do does something to us. Everything we do does something to us. And unfortunately, I think we are woefully unaware of this far too often. So I want to continue the journey the Lord has us on. Amen. I like to follow the path that God has us on when I preach. And so I'm going to begin, I'm going to read a story, and then I'm going to read a scripture, because if it's not grounded in the Word of God, then it has no grounding in truth. Amen. And then we're going to learn together from that. Okay? Everybody with me? So first we'll dismiss our kids to South Coast kids, and then we'll, we'll move forward. And it says, Don't settle for lukewarm. Jesus died, so you may live. And what we're, what we're not going to be talking about is legalism. Is legalism is, is on one extreme. It's all about you know polishing the outside of the dish. It's all about making things look good on the outside, which is important, but only if the change comes because your heart is different. If not, you're going to burn out, you're going to walk away, you're going to be a Pharisee. Right, And so it's not that. It's not legalism. Uh, the other side of the coin is license, which means, oh, it doesn't matter you, how you live. It doesn't matter what decisions you make because God will forgive you because his grace is sufficient. And that's true. But, you know, the way, way I tell people is, you know, everybody wants to be with Jesus forever in heaven. But how much time you want to spend with him here and now? Because we don't just have to wait to spend eternity with them. And I don't know about you, but if you're going to spend eternity with someone you don't even know or have a relationship with now, then maybe you ought to work on that. And so what we are going to talk about is this idea of of living a full life. And John Piper said this, and I want to read it because this morning I just read this and it ties into what I'm saying. John Piper has a philosophy, he calls it Christian hedonism. And we know that hedonism is, is usually has a negative connotation. The idea of hedonism is just living for pleasure. So Piper's point is Christian hedonism is living for pleasure, but it's Christ as the supreme source of that pleasure. And so Piper says this, What I mean by Christian hedonism is that we should devote ourselves with all our might to finding God as our supreme, supreme pleasure. I believe this is the most effective way to defeat the power of sinful pleasures. 
We drive out worldly, sensual, loveless, egotistical pleasures by experiencing God and Jesus Christ as our supreme pleasure. So that's really what we're going to talk about. Everything we do does something to us. And so I'm going to start with a story. And some of you have heard this before. But stories are powerful. We remember stories more than we remember information. That's, that's the way we're wired. And so again, it's, it's a powerful story. Some of you have heard it, but it's worth repeating. And it's, the principle is there. It's powerful. The tale of two wolves, right? Anybody's heard that? Only two of you? Good. This is great then. <laughs> One evening, an elderly Cherokee brave, we can call him Gary White as an example, told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger and envy and jealousy and sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, and ego. Anybody? The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? To which the old Cherokee simply replied, the one that you feed. The one that you feed. So the Bible says this in Colossians 3, verse 1 through 17. If you want to turn there, if somebody finds it, you can let everybody know where it is. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 17. Eleven eighty. thank you. It says, put on the new self. And I like that because it indicates that we have a part to play. Yes, we understand it's not only by God's grace we're saved, but it's by God's grace we're sanctified. It's by God's grace that we're being changed from the inside out. And so our focus really needs to be, and it's the same thing, you know, week after week. We, we focus on our relationship with him, on falling deeper in love with Jesus, and the Spirit produces the fruit. You can produce the fruit apart from Christ, but it's going to be secondary. It's going to be temporary. You're going to burn out. It's not going to continue as if it was just natural, if it's just an overflow of what's happening in your heart. So, verse 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So I want to stop for a minute and flesh some of that out. First, a question. If you have been raised with Christ, if you have trusted Jesus, if you are willing again and again and again to put your life in his hands, if you are no longer living for yourself alone, so again, now, you know, we, if, if we skip the trust in Jesus part, then we're just, we're just self-effort. It's just, you're just left with religion. But if we understand that this is a result of our trusting in Christ and our result of not just one time, but in, in actively seeking to serve and surrender to him moment by moment. It's, you know, people say a day at a time. A day at a time, how about five minutes at a time? Because it's one decision at a time. You know, don't worry about tomorrow. We have no business. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. 
You have enough in front of you right now. Every decision you make, everything you do does something to you. Everything you watch and listen to and see, every, everything you, you ingest, everything you engage, it changes you. It does something to you. So first the question, if you've been raised with Christ, then there are a couple things we need to do to put on this new self. The Bible says, seek things above. Search them out. Look for them. It's a, a little bit of effort. It takes some time. You know, Paul tells us to focus on what's beautiful, what's praiseworthy, worthy, right? And then it says, set your mind. So not only do you seek, seek those things, but then you, you set your mind on them. You make it a, a conscious effort to focus your heart and your life on these things. And then the next verse really goes into the why. Why? Because this life is short. And your focus should be on when Christ, who is your life, appears. Because he's coming again. And the fact of the matter is that we will be with him in glory forever. Everyone with me? So this is the beginning of the putting on of the new life. Now we're not done because it's a both and. You, you know, you hear sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're stuck on a bad habit, if you're stuck in, you know, uh, you know things that you do, re- repetitive, uh, dangerous, harmful patterns, they have to stop doing those things. But they tell you, you don't just stop doing bad things, you have to start to do the good things, right? You replace, it's like a replacement theory. You, you get rid of the bad, but you replace it with the good. If you just get rid of the bad, then what do you do? You, you're stuck, and you're, you're, the tendency is to be drawn back into that. But you have to put on the new. And so verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put to death means kill it. Don't allow it to live anymore. Don't don't entertain it. Don't create an environment where it could thrive. Instead, create an environment that's not conducive to that. So again, this is the things that we need to focus on and think about. Verse 7. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. And I love that expression because it really seems like that. I know for me, when I was doing the wrong thing, when I was living that lifestyle, it, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't just a, a choice here and there. It was, it was the whole world. Everything, you know, all the decisions I made, the people I was with, you know, before you know it, you're surrounded by people who think just like you, more or less. And so that can either be really good, hopefully, if it's with people that are seeking after the Lord. And as Jamie said, that doesn't mean we we do it right. That means we bump our head and we pick each other up and we love each other and, and we keep walking forward. But that means it's amazing what you can get used to. When I think of my life as a young person, and I think if you would have told me as a child, and I remember with Carolyn sitting here, this is funny. that I remember being 12 years old on a bus and Carolyn, you remember, looked at me and she said, you're a punk. Someday you're going to be like a troublemaker. And I thought, I am not going to be a troublemaker. You are so mistaken. And she's like, you are. You're going to be one of those pike. No way. And I remember thinking, she's crazy. She is crazy, that's true. But who would have known? It was, a, it was fearful to me to consider like a lifestyle like that. And then time goes on. And what happens? You get used to insanity. You get used to chaos. You get used to things that are entirely unhealthy and destructive and you don't realize that I'm going to go back to this point again and again and again, that everything you do does something to you. 
Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then Paul says, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, I don't know, something, slave, free, Christ is all and in all. But Paul's saying, look, the, the, you know, it's all separate at the foot of the, it's all uh, the same at the foot of the cross, right? We're all the same in him. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, sound familiar? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's not my topic, but I could preach a sermon on that. On unforgiveness. On what that does to us. You know, forget about the person that we're harboring resentment that we won't forgive, what it does to us. I've seen more people destroyed from within because of unforgiveness. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that's all what we do. Those are all things we need to focus on and be aware of. And then verse 15, I think this is a promise and I think this is encouraging. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's what Piper was talking about. It's not, a, it's not a peace that's conditional. It's not based on what's going on around you. It comes from within. And if you let that peace rule your hearts, you'll have a peace and a joy that's everlasting. Not a conditional happiness, but a peace and joy that's from within that'll change everything. It'll change the way you react to people. It'll change your entire life. And be thankful. Are we only thankful around the end of November? Preach another whole sermon on gratitude. The truth is gratitude changes your attitude. Absolutely, 100%. You ever get into that place where you start to complain? Stop it. And I'm a complainer. If my wife was here, she'd be like, you preach to yourself right now. (laughs) I do. I always preach to myself every week. Stop complaining. Remember what the Lord has done for you. And if you're not grateful, you must not understand what he's done. You want to have a good attitude? You want to stop have a critical spirit or an angry spirit or a spirit full of bitterness? Just stop for a minute and consider and be grateful. And that'll change everything. And then in verse 16, Paul gets to some of the how all this is done. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that, that expression. Let it dwell in you. Let the word God live in you. Not just visit from time to time but live in you, in your heart, so that when situations occur, so that when, you're, when information or, you know, again, everything you do does something to you, right? So when the world comes against you, you have the Word of God inside you. In situations and circumstance, Scriptures will come to mind. And they're not words. They're not just words. There's power in the Word of God. You know, how often you're in the middle of a situation and God will give you a Scripture and it'll remind you of His faithfulness, of His promises, of how good He is no matter what you're in the middle of. And no man can give you that. Those aren't words from man. Those are words from God Himself to you. But if you've never read them, if you don't know them, if you visit from time to time, then what are you filling yourself with? 
If you want to live a changed life, you have to get into the habit of reading the Word of God. And people say, well, I don't like to read. Good, because you live in a time where there's audiobooks. So you can drive. You like to drive? Because if you're driving, you can listen, right? So there's all these ways that you can get the Word of God inside you. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, there's that gratitude. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do does something to us. So which wolf are you feeding? Which self are you putting on? Which direction are you heading in? It's Again, it's not about being perfect. It's not about you know, having it all lined up. And on this side of eternity, the flesh is never going to be converted. We're never going to have it perfect. But which direction are you heading in? Lewis Carroll said this, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Some of us walk around like that. We're not even conscious. We're not even aware. We live our entire lives reactive to stimuli. Not proactive, not planning, but we just react to everything that happens around us. And I don't know about you, but when I react, it's usually not so well. Usually you have to be proactive. You have to fill yourself, right? Which shelf are you putting on? Are you moving closer to God or are you moving further away? Are you intentional? I read this, and I'm guilty too. This is not me. You know, this is all of us trying to figure out how, what the Word of God says to our lives. Because it's easy to get hooked. There's so many things that will stimulate us, that will distract us. Anybody ever go on YouTube and you're going to watch, you're going to look up one video and then three hours go by and you're looking at cat videos, right, Kathy, huh? You're like, oh my gosh, three hours, but you got to see this, look. You can lose days. <laughs> Seriously, though. If I, if I say, you know, hey, you, everybody, everybody says, I say all the time, well, you know, I got to read more, I got to pray more, I'm going to get into the groups, I'm going to do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed my spiritual self more. Oh, I don't have time, you know, I'm so busy, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Let me share with you some things. The average U.S. adult spends three hours and 40 minutes on mobile devices per day and three hours and 35 minutes watching TV, an average. That means the average person in the United States spends about six hours a day between TV and phone. Now, let's say the phone time is productive. I have a phone. If we say half of it's productive, we're, we're, that's a lot, but we'll say. Let's say half the phone time is productive. That still means over five hours a day on average, we're wasting our time. We're playing on our phone. We're watching TV. And now you got Netflix. There's no commercials. I get it. I was away at Monadnock. They were laughing. First of all, I can't just all of a sudden like be crazy and then, okay, bedtime, go to sleep. No, I can't do that. I got to watch something, listen to something, read something. So I have my little phone and I'm watching Netflix movies. My headphones on and Gary White's got the fan blasting on me because he wanted the noise but not the air. So he just puts it on his son-in-law, which is fine because I'm like a dog in a window, right? Well, what's my point? Am I trying to make everybody feel bad? No. But I'm trying to say, if we honestly have deceived ourselves into thinking that we can't find time to read the Bible and to show up at prayer and to be in a group, but somehow the average person can find time to watch TV for five hours a day, then we don't realize that everything we do does something to us. 
And I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. I'm telling you this to encourage you. A little bit of conviction. You know, people say, well, what's the difference between, you know, how do I know if it's God or if it's the enemy or if it's, you know, if if I feel bad about something? I said, well, godly sorrow leads to repentance, right? So if you feel bad about something, if you feel convicted and you take that conviction and use it to make changes, that's of the Lord. If you sit and go, woe is me, I'm a failure, pity, 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 that's from the enemy. But conviction's good. Being, being uncomfortable is good. If you're never uncomfortable, you'd never change. But I think that deep down inside, we don't really realize that everything we do does something to us. And all of a sudden, we realize that our thoughts and, and the way we live and the choices we make are informed less and less and less by the Word of God and more and more and more by all the competing voices of culture, which changes again and again and again. The Word of God is unchanging. And culture changes constantly. 20 years ago, what, what was acceptable now wouldn't have been accepted in 30 or 40 years from now. Who knows? Anybody here read their Bible for five hours a day? And then we say, I don't understand how I can't overcome the sin in my life. We wonder why the church is indistinguishable from the world when it comes to statistics like divorce, addiction, pornography, Materialism. When, the neighbor, when your neighbors look at your life, do they know you're a follower of Jesus? We said last week, the process of discipleship, it looks like this. First, we turn our focus upward. And maybe you're here and you haven't done that. Then the rest of what I'm going to say, just focus on that. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I, you know I've, been, I've been seeking after the life that I thought I wanted. I've been, you know, going this way and going this way and I'm just tired. I'm weary. I'm, I never feel fulfilled. I'm restless. Then turn your focus upward. Begin there. And that's as simple as saying, Lord, I, you know, I, I, I got to put my trust and my faith in you. I believe you died so that I could live. And I'm done. I give up. I said, I don't know how many, maybe a year ago now, and I was just preaching and it came out definitely from from God. I'm not that bright. And I said, we don't surrender to be done, we surrender to begin. Usually when we get to the point of surrender, we think it's over. And God goes, no, it's not over. I've been waiting to get you to this place for a long, long time. It's just going to begin now. It's just going to start. Everything you thought you knew, everything you thought you experienced, all those things you thought would fulfill you, don't even compare to the life I have for you. So first we turn our focus upward to the Lord and his word, and then that changes us inward, still by his power. And only then are we motivated to live it out outward. So upward, inward, and outward. I want to read something from the book I've been reading I mentioned last time. It says this. Now here is the crucial insight for spiritual formation and discipleship. Not only is this learning by practice, the way our hearts are correctly calibrated. In other words, and we're gonna, I'm going to camp out here, we're going to flesh this out, but in other words, it is by and in the doing that our hearts and minds are shapes. Not just in the knowing, okay? Follow, follow me. It is by and in the doing that our hearts and minds are shaped. Because everything we do does something to us. So it's not just about in the knowing. The author continues. It is also the way our love and our longings are miscalibrated and misdirected. 
In other words, all the things that we've done that have done something to us that we don't even know about because we're in the practice. We, we, it's not just in what we know. That's a misnomer. That's a misunderstanding. It's in how we live. Our desires have been captivated by this. Listen. She says, uh, he says, I'm reading two books. I'll get the, the other one another week. It is also the way our love and longings have been miscalibrated and misdirected, not because our intellect has been hijacked by bad ideas, but because our desires have been captivated, and I love this phrase, by rival visions of flourishing. You have to understand that when Jesus says, I come that you may have life, he doesn't say, I come that you may have life and have it slightly better than you have it now. I come that you may have life and have a mediocre existence. I come that you may have life and and have a, a lukewarm faith. No, he says, I come that you may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. But we, our desires... Our affection, our heart has been hijacked by rival visions of flourishing. In other words, the world says, no, this apple right here, this is what you need. And your eyes will be opened. And we go, yeah. Rival visions of flourishing. Like Adam and Eve, we think we know better. We think, we believe that God is withholding good things from us. And we've talked about this before, but it boggles my mind when people misunderstand the God of the Bible so fundamentally. Now, I somewhat understand when the world doesn't see. They don't know what the Bible actually says and teaches. They repeat the same wrong things over and over again about the Bibles and Christians thoughtlessly. But it's when the church, when those of us who profess Christ, when those people, when we also are not living for Jesus, but are living instead for these rival visions of flourishing, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart primarily because I did it for a long, long time and I know it's not going to fulfill you. And it breaks my heart because when you hit a roadblock and when things blow up because I'm the one that I pray with you and I hear about it. And it breaks my heart because too many people are settling for a lukewarm Christianity because it's easy. Romans 8:32 He didn't who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things Paul saying the God who gave Jesus for you to live how would that God possibly withhold any good thing from you You see Jesus doesn't just provide forgiveness for our sins He provides power to overcome them. Don't just settle for the forgiveness and neglect the power to overcome. Do not allow what things you do affect you to the point where your heart and your desires are hijacked by those rival visions of flourishing. I'm always amazed when people say that Christians are brainwashed. It, it, it boggles my mind. Meanwhile, people buy into the lies of advertisers telling us that this product or this choice will make us happy. And there's a website, and I heard about this. It was in the news not long ago. And the website is for married people to have affairs. That's the point of the website. And the tagline of the website is, life is short, have an affair. We're brainwashed. And that's, that's the news 
that's the, you know, the tagline for this website, which apparently, you know, uh, the reason it was in the news is because somebody hacked it and was exposing all these people. Can you imagine the destruction and the families torn apart because people believe the lies of the enemy? That what you have isn't good enough. Don't put effort into working on what you have when there's something else better out there. Wherever you go, there you are. Only in a world this upside down are we're the ones who considered brainwashed. I have a friend who used to say, yeah, I'm brainwashed, but my brain needed a lot of washing. Amen? I was talking the other day with Jeff, and we're talking about all kinds of wonderful spiritual things. Jeff and I are very different in the best kind of way. How many people know that you can learn the most from people who are different than you, right? And we were talking, and we were, I was saying that so much of life is, seems to be lived in the gray. Meaning that as Christians, I think we want to do what's right. I think we want to avoid what's wrong. And so we live, and in some areas we have victory, and in other areas we struggle, and eventually we just become complacent. Because you realize the truth is, well, I'm always going to struggle. I mean, I'm never going to fully be converted But that doesn't mean to stop fighting against the sin in your life. That doesn't mean to wave the the white flag and say, okay, I give up. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Keep fighting. I implore you, keep fighting. Because that complacency will turn into a mediocre, lukewarm Christianity and eventually will be undistinguishable. And the enemy, people say, you know, you know, does the enemy work in my life? And I'll say, you know, a lot of times the enemy doesn't even know your name. You're in your own way, your own worst enemy. The enemy, you don't even have to give that. The enemy doesn't even know who you are. We must take the time to not only read the word, to be alone with God, to spend time upward, to be changed inward, and then practice living as Christians, and then export what we ourselves experience. If not, and this is important, because I think this really is part of the reason that churches are, are not flourishing. Now, God's church will continue to flourish, but, but the reason why American churches tend to flourish is we are inviting people into a life that we ourselves have not experienced. We are inviting people into a life that we ourselves do not understand. Aristotle said this, but the virtues we get first by exercising them, as also happens in the case of the arts as well. For the things we have to learn before we can do them, we learn by doing them. Men become builders by building and lyre players by playing the lyre. And so we too become just by doing just acts, temperate by doing temperate acts, and brave by doing brave acts. Actions then are called just and temperate when they are just as the just or temperate man would do. It is not the man who does these that is just and temperate, but the man who also does them as just and temperate men do them. It is well said then, and listen to this, that is by doing temperate acts that temperate man is produced. Temperance just means self-controlled. By another, so by doing temperate acts, the temperate, temperate man is produced, and without doing these, no one would have a prospect of becoming good. Now Aristotle was right in the practice of virtue, even though he was naive as to the source of it. We know we can only do this. We know we can only live this out as a result of our connection to God through Christ. 
and the Spirit of God working in us and our cooperation with that process that provides our sanctification. But listen, part of that is in the practice. You know how many times people, well, when I get myself all figured out, when I, you know, it's like you hear all the time, well, when, my, when I, life gets better, when everything works out, then I'll show up at church. I've been saying for a long time, when I get in shape, I'm going to start going to the gym. Same kind of thinking. But part of it is in the practice. You want to live the Christian life? Begin by living the Christian life. Well, I don't know. I haven't figured this out. I haven't figured that out. I'm still thinking through this. I'm still thinking through that. What makes a man virtuous is that he practices virtue. Not that he teaches about virtue and not that he knows about virtue. But yet, as Christians, we think that if we know about God, and don't misunderstand me, it's important. To, you have to understand who God is. You have to know the truth of the Bible. So doctrine is important. But it's not just in the knowing and the teaching. You know what makes you a follower of Christ? Anyone want to guess? Real tough. This is a very deep philosophical principle here. You know what makes you a follower of Christ? If you follow him. We think we're a follower of Christ if we know the right things about him. And we tell other people those things. And we have a t-shirt and a bumper sticker. We wear a cross. You know, it makes you a follower of Jesus if you're following Jesus. And you know what? That's a messy process. And some days maybe you're going to be like, you know what? I don't feel like following today. And in his grace and mercy, he's going to drag you along. And someday maybe you get an inch. And the next day he drags you along more and more. But he'll pursue you. He's not going to leave you alone. Thank God for his pursuit of wayward people. People, Jesus says to people, come and follow me. And don't deceive yourself if you've answered that question and said, no, I don't really want to. And then tell everybody you're a follower of Jesus. Now, again, I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad, and I'm not telling you this to say that I have it all together. I'm telling you this to say that I wake up and I desperately cling to the cross of Jesus Christ because if I don't, the world will take me out quickly. You know how easy it is to go back to the old life? Like, that, like, a, le like a leather coat, comfortable leather coat, and the enemy wants to go, see, that's who you really are. And we believe it. The lie of the enemy we believe that our default passions and desires, those must be who we are, when those are the things we're called to rail against in the power that he provides for us. Jesus spent time alone on his face with the Father to get his direction, and we spend time on Facebook to get ours. Here's another principle, ready? No wilderness, no revelation. No wilderness, no revelation. You don't spend time quietly alone with God, you're not going to hear from Him. And here's the biggest thing. Here's the takeaway. You lose out. I don't. I mean, I do. I do in the sense that it breaks my heart to see people in destructive patterns again and again and again. It does. It hurts me. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. But at the end of the day, you're the one who fundamentally loses out when you, when you don't realize that everything you do does something to you and your desires and, and everything that you long for is shaped not by Christ but by the world. 
Maybe you've heard the question before. I'm sure I've probably posed it. But if you got to heaven and everything you ever wanted and your whole life was there, but Jesus wasn't, would that still be heaven to you? And if only Jesus was there and nothing else, would that be heaven to you? It breaks my heart in the way a parent feels sadness when their child is going the wrong way. And I don't mean that to be condescending, but I mean it affects me deeply when I have conversations with people who settle, who stop fighting against the sin in their lives, and I see slowly their, their world and their marriages and their families fall apart. And it breaks my heart. Because Jesus didn't die so that you and I could have a mediocre, lukewarm life. I posted this the other day. I've given God a million reasons not to love me and none of them changed his mind. And it's true and we love this. You want to get back? And it's true and we love this, but you've also heard me say this. God loves you right where you are. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay right where you are. He doesn't want you to remain lukewarm and mediocre, to settle for what the culture teaches instead of what God teaches and what God wants to do. God doesn't want you to stop fighting against the stronghold in your lives. He doesn't want you to surrender to sin. Craig Greshel said this, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Here's another passage from the book. And it touches on what Pastor Jamie said at the beginning. The body of Christ is a unique community of practice whose members own up to the fact that we don't always love what we say we do. That the devices and desires of our hearts outstrip our best intentions. Listen to this. Listen to the last sentence. And we're going to get into this in the coming weeks. The practices of Christian worship, not just of Christian singing, but of living the Christian life as a worshiper, of seeing God as supreme in all things, as a source of our, our peace and joy and comfort, as the full source. So the practices of Christian worship are a tangible, practiced, that word again, reformative way to address that tension. In other words, as we do the Christian life, as we walk out the worship and the community and the authenticity, as we live that out in our, 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 our mind is transformed, uh, is renewed by the... Uh, uh, Romans 12.1, Jamie, help me out. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So our mind is being renewed by the truth of God. At the same time, we're living it out. We're practicing it. I think we, we figure, and, until I know everything, until I have the correct way of thinking about everything, I can't begin to do it. And meanwhile, the world is forming us. Remember I said a couple weeks ago, we all worship. The only choice we get is what to worship. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't worship. Not one. The only question is what you worship. So I'll close with this. Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 